Well, we want to welcome each and every one of you joining us online here in Theater 1, Theater 2. We are starting a brand new series today called Me and God Alone. Now, we're going to study four men's lives over the next several weeks, Job, Joseph, Gideon, and Joshua. And we're going to see what it's like during terrible times, how to handle your life with just you and God. Okay, let me ask you this. What if you woke up tomorrow having done nothing wrong in recent memory? You lost your workplace, your savings, your children, all within minutes of each other. What would you think of Jesus? This is what happens to a man named Job, and I want you to hear what he think, what we think his thoughts might have been like. God, what did I do to deserve this? Have I not been faithful to you, following everything that you ever asked of me? Why has everything been taken away from me? My children have died. My business is gone. My enemies have taken everything from me. I sit in pain of what I've lost. I can't eat, sleep. I just sit here. Now I'm covered in sores. What did I do, God? Did I sin against you? Did I break a rule? I don't deserve this. I've become the talk of the town. Every person told me it's what I deserve for turning my back on you. My own wife said, I'm better off dead. My best friends are lecturing me about how I left you. They won't listen to me. I need a friend, and all I've gotten was judgment. You hear me, God? Answer me. What am I supposed to do when everything has been taken away? God, I'm alone with no one on my side. Will I be vindicated? Will someone actually hear what I have to say? God, where are you? That is some heavy business going on. Now, I'm going to read it to you this morning. We're going to go through a ton of scripture. So if you haven't already gone to hillschurch.info, do that today because I can't tell this story any better than the Bible itself. And I'm just going to tell you to buckle up. If you think you have a bad 20 minutes in your life, okay, this is the worst I've ever read in anybody's life. All right? So hang with me. There's going to be a lot of scripture. We're reading in Job. Okay? If you're looking for it in your Bible, it also looks like Job. Okay? So it's Job. That was a joke. Job chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to go all the way to verse 22. It says, There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in the entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes. They would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. 
He would get up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings for each one of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and I have and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. One day, one of the members of the heavenly court, okay, another word to say that is an angel, came to present themselves to the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with him. They come to meet Jesus. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan says, or replies to the Lord, yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him in his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out, take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, then. You may test him, the Lord says to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but do not harm him physically. So Satan left the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting in the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided us. They stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned all your sheep and all your shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived and said, Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived. This news, your sons and daughters were feasting in the oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness, hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed and all your children are dead and I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief and then shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had and the Lord has taken it away from me. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Wow. That is the worst 20 seconds of anybody's life. Okay, you need to understand that he lost everything within seconds. You remember while the one person is finishing saying it says the next person shows up with even worse news. Okay, this is not a good day for him. Okay, to put it into perspective, he is so heartbroken at that moment. Okay, he rips his clothes, shaves his head, and just falls to the ground. He doesn't know what to do with this amount of loss. But in the midst of his heartache, Job trusted God. So that you have a full understanding of how much money we're talking about on top of everything else, I, I put this little slide together. Somebody had already done the research. In today's cash, and camel cash, okay, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, 500 donkeys, okay, the total would be $4.8 million. 
the land needed to farm all those animals, okay, would be about, if we did it in Montana, about $660 an acre. He would need 9,200 acres, which totals $6 million. All of this is gone in seconds. $10 million burnt to a crisp. That would make anybody fall to their knees. But it gets worse. He loses 100 plus servants and co-workers in seconds. 100 plus. Seven sons and daughters. Seven sons, three daughters in seconds. You can't replace those things. It is our job. Here's what I want you to remember this morning. It's kind of hard because it's the same word twice said two different ways. It is our job to live like Job, even when it doesn't add up. Job trusted God in the midst of suffering and pain. You know, sometimes we have to live with the consequences of our sin. Sometimes we really do. We sin, we understand the process, we get disciplined. What happens when you haven't done anything wrong and this happens anyway? He hasn't done anything wrong. We read this in Job chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Then God described Job to Satan. He's blameless. He didn't say sinless. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil, and that there's no one like him on earth. Then Satan, called the accuser of the brethren or the accuser of the church or Christian people, tells God the only reason Job serves you is because you've gave him Things He's rich in blessing. Anybody could do that. God allows Satan to come against Job under certain restrictions and restraints, and Satan goes out in a fury. Soon after this rapid, boom, 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 this is his response. Okay? All this, okay, every commentary that I read said all of this took place, head shaved and everything, within one hour. So from the time he finds out, boom, 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 he is clothes off, head shaved, worshiping God. And at the end of that, here's what he says. In verse 21 says, naked I came from my mother's womb. That is true. All of us do that. And naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Job's first thoughts were to trust God even though he had lost everything. Who on earth does that? Okay, like sometimes I get mad like if a scuff hits my car. I don't have a nice car or anything. I really shouldn't care, but you know. And here he is. He's lost everything, and his first reaction was to give God glory. He gave it to him and believed that God was entitled to do whatever he wanted with it. When was the last time that you actually thought to yourself, God is in charge of all my belongings, all my money, all my children. If he takes them away, I will praise him anyway. When was the last time that was your thought pattern? When it was just you and God, because in that moment, he is left with his wife. That is it. Everything else has been burnt to a crisp, stolen, raided, killed. When was the last time the thought crossed your mind that, you know what? Praise God. 
I just lost everything. Man, it is our job to live like Job. The truth is that we should all be targeting, targeting this style, this attitude towards life. That God, everything on earth is yours. Everything I have, you should hold it very loosely. If you believe that he created all things, they belong to him anyway. Think about it. Your child, and it doesn't say that he doesn't hurt. I mean, it's clear that he's hurting. It's clear that he's in pain and clear that he's mourning. But he still says, blessed be the name of the Lord. Isn't it tempting once something bad happens just to raise your fist at God? Man, this happens a lot. I see this a lot when people lose a loved one. The first question is, why would God let this happen? And you know what? Sometimes I don't have an answer. Job has no answers at this moment. He's got nothing. As a matter of fact, we can lose sight of eternity and what matters in the kingdom of God when we only look at our circumstances right here and now and hold tight to earthly possessions at the expense of our relationship with God. Sometimes we hold on to what we have so much at the expense of our relationship with God. Let me give you an example. You lose your job tomorrow. And the first person you blame is Jesus. You're like, if God were with me, I've been going to church, I've been praying, I lost my job. Jesus, you did not do, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain. I hate to tell you, you can read that Bible cover to cover. It doesn't bargain with you. That's hard. That's a hard reality. Many of us have been there. We've lost family members, possessions. Man, when, when my grandfather, I had just seen him at Christmas time, and I'm burying him four weeks later. And every one of my family members, he's like the patriarch. He's like, God, why would you, why would God let this happen? Why? And I've got no answer. All I can do is I go, I praise God anyway. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. You've heard that. And blessed be the name of the Lord. It's much harder to do. The book of Job is not primarily about one man's suffering and pain. Job must deal with the fact that God didn't always act the way Job thought God should and would always act. That's tough for us. That's tough for everybody in this room. When God doesn't show up the way we think he's going to, I remember, man, I was a young Christian, okay, six months saved, giving my life to Jesus when my dad had a brain aneurysm, collapsed when I was 18 years old, and I'm just in the room praying my heart out. I'm going, he's going to be okay. Jesus, you're going to heal him. You know, I don't even know the words to say. Like, And I remember the pastor just putting his hand right after they pronounced him dead, and we had to unhook him from all the machines. And he goes, look, you have to learn how to say this in the hardest time. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Your dad is now healed. And at that moment, I didn't want my dad to be healed. I wanted my dad to be with me. But the greatest gift was eternity. That's hard. Sometimes we forget who we are and who God is in Romans chapter 9, verse 20. Verse 21, it says, but you who are a human being, talk back to God. 
Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make the same lump of clay, some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Okay, you know that our story, we start from sand, right? So imagine it like clay, like God's stirring us up and he puts us in. We're just a lump. Like that's all you are. You're a lump of clay. Some of you are prettier, some of you are not. I'm in the not category. I got extra chins. I got more clay than most of you. Makes me special. But you have to understand, if you're the clay, if the clay has feelings, it hurts when it gets pressed and pushed around, and you're like, uh, uh, uh. You're like, what is happening? Puberty is the best example of what God does to you. My voice cracked five times. It never got better, only got worse. And here's the deal. You're like, why would God do that? He's molding you into who he wants you to be. We forget that God has the end result in mind, and we have no idea what it is. God's goal for everybody's life in here is eternity. How you get there, you have no idea. You don't know if you're going to be blessed the whole way. You don't know if you're going to be cursed the whole way. And you're like, is God cursing me? No, God's not cursing you. He might trust you. I don't know if I want to be trusted this much. How many of you have ever seen Bob Ross? We're going to put up a picture of him so you can remember Bob Ross. Okay. You got Bob Ross up there. Bob Ross, okay, I would watch his stuff sometimes, and it just didn't make sense to me, okay? The fro didn't make sense to me. Neither did the paintings half the time. And as he's doing things, he's like going there, and every now and then he'd be like, whoops. Oh, we'll make that into something. Wait on a second. And then he would take like his spatula and like scrape the whole thing. And you're like, you just ruined the whole painting, bro. Like the whole thing is jacked up now. I've washed you. All the trees are gone. What happened? Okay. Then he comes in with a special brush, and he just starts doing something. And you're like, oh. That was an ocean the whole time. He's been painting an ocean. I never saw it. Why? That's the way God handles us. Sometimes you don't know why brush strokes come in your life. You don't know why you've got a splatter here and a scrape over here. And then all of a sudden, God takes beauty from ashes and starts painting you into something crazy. And you're like, how'd that happen? Jesus is Bob Ross. Pastor David Gizek says it like this, the righteousness or wrongness of what God either allows or actively does can only be finally judged by the measure of eternity, not the measure of this life. We can only say that God either did right or wrong by the unfortunates, by the eternal picture. Until then, we must trust what Abraham knew of God. Shall not the judge of all earth do right? Shall not the judge of earth do all right? It is our job to live like Job, even when things don't add up. This story gets worse. Okay, and it reminds me of that moment. How many of you have ever seen National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation? And he's snapping, and he's like losing it. One of my favorite quotes, put up Clark there for a second, says, worse? How could things get any worse? Took 
Take a look around you, Ellen. We're on the threshold of bleep. I didn't put that other part in there. But it does. In, in chapter 2, it gets worse for him. And here's what it says in chapter 2, verse 1. On another day, the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present themselves before him. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answers the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth. You'll notice the theme here. Satan never gives up. Then the Lord says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth. God has just allowed his entire family to be destroyed, all his money, everything. God still says there's nobody like him on earth. He maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without a reason. Skin for skin, Satan says, a man will give all he has for his life, but stretch out your hand and strike his own flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, very well, then he is in your hands, but you must spare his life. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord, afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery, scraped himself with it, and sat among the ashes. His wife said, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God but not trouble? Just when Job is starting to cope with his losses, he's it may be day two. He's like, oh, well, you know what? I, I don't know what's happening, but maybe God's out there. God's like, yeah, he can handle more. Throw more. So he's covered in boils head to toe, and the Bible says he's literally breaking pottery and scraping the boils off his skin. This is not a good situation. It's not getting better. Okay, his wife is so happy with him, she straight up tells him, you're better off dead. So now his wife's not happy with him. I don't know if you've noticed that. His friends show up on the scene. He's got three friends who show up on the scene. His friends come, and they mourn him for seven days, and then they're convinced that he's done something wrong and won't admit it. They're like, surely, I mean, you must have done something wrong. God wouldn't allow you to go through something. And they convince him. They're trying. And he's like, it doesn't matter what's happening as he's wrestling with these feelings because now everybody's against him. Everybody on earth, his friends, his wife, everybody he knows, everybody he loved is gone. He's covered in boils, and he still maintains his integrity. And one of the things that Job wrestles with the most is the feeling of abandonment from God himself. He is so scared that God has left him, he doesn't know what to do. But God heard him. God heard him in the midst of his suffering. He heard him when he was wondering and mourning. God heard him when he became angry and cursed the day he was born. God was near Job even when Job couldn't feel it. God remind, remained near to Job all the way throughout his suffering, strengthened him through it. We see in chapter 38 of many conversations between him and his friends that they're like, hey, man, just, just curse God and die. And he's like, God hasn't left me. I don't know why you got He's trying to reassure himself. God hasn't left me. And he's pouring his heart out to God just like we heard earlier. He's like, God, why have you done this? What is going on? 
And as you pour your heart out to God, whether you believe it or not, his promises are solid. God's promises are always solid. Uh, My son, Cade, uh, at the end of either first grade or kindergarten, I'm not sure, had an end-of-the-year program. And as he was doing the the end-of-the-year program, uh, it was like a little video that they had recorded talking about what they're going to do that summer. So my mom's here, my wife's here, and all the other parents are in the room. And while we're sitting there, all these kids are coming up, and they're like, we're going on vacation, we're so excited, you know, and we're going to do this, we're going to Disney World, we're going to build a fort, and my child pops up on the screen. And all he says is, I hope my daddy keeps his promises. What? So the whole class turns and looks at this horrible dad. My mother is laughing at the top of her lungs. She is like, this is the best thing I have ever seen. She's like, you are such an embarrassment. She's like, you're a kid. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my gosh. And finally, after class, I'm like, we get out. I was like, buddy, what were you talking about? He's like, well, you know, VBS is coming up, and you said we could jump on the ballast houses before VBS. I just hope you, you remember that. <laughs> I'm like, what? That's it? Get back up there and film that. <laughs> it's like this whole place thinks I'm a horrible dad because of you. Now they see me screaming at my kid in the parking lot. It's not getting any better. God's promises are solid. James chapter 4, verse 8 says this, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Matthew 7, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks find. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. God hears you no matter what you feel. It is our job to live like Job. Job's story doesn't end this way. Here's the amazing part. Look at chapter 42, verse 12 through 17. The Lord blessed the latter part of Job's life more than the former part. He now has 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camel, a thousand yoke of oxen, a thousand donkeys. He also had seven more sons and three more daughters. The first daughter he named Jemima, the second, Keziah, the third, Karen Hoppock. Nowhere in all the land were there found women as beautiful as Job's daughters. And their father granted them an inheritance along with their brothers. After this, Job lived 140 years. He saw his children and their children to the fourth generation. And so Job died an old man and full of years. God's intended end for Job was good. But Job had to go through that. Job's story was an inspiration to believers for generations. He's still being talked about today. Somebody had to go through it and do it right so that we would know what to do, what our job was when our day came. Our job is to be the same as Job. And it says this in James chapter 5, verse 11. As you know, we count it blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought him. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. When the Bible says compassion, it means tenderness, love, understanding. He understands what you're going through, but he has the end in mind. I promise you, if you saw the end, you wouldn't mind going through what you have to go through. 
We have to remember that God sees eternity. My friend has cancer. They're dying. God sees their eternity. I'm losing my loved one, the poor, the hungry around the world. God sees their eternity. Don't get stuck on what you see. Remember, God's plan is much bigger than your 80, 100 years on earth. God's plan is eternity. Your plan here, very short. God's plan, very long for your life. Remember, the end is more important than the beginning. It's our job to live like Job, even when things don't add up. And I don't have time. I'm going to skip down to something Charles Spurgeon said. And it's pretty genius because it helps you understand the same principle, just how you view what happens. He says, as Charles Spurgeon says, if a man were to attack me with a knife, I would resist him with all my strength. And count it a tragedy if he succeeded. Yet if a surgeon came with a knife, I would welcome him and the knife. Let him cut me open even wider than the knife attacker because I know his purpose is good and necessary. Understand the difference. God's purpose for you is good and necessary. Jeremiah 29, 11, We've heard this over our lives. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. The end God intended for us was good. And our suffering always has a purpose. You're like, yeah, but that person, the person you saw in my family die, they struggled the whole way, and I don't understand. Maybe you don't know the people that God was using to watch that struggle to reach for him. Maybe you're moved by compassion by what you see in somebody else's life that changes your life. Paul, Ryan, if you'll come and join me, I'm going to close with this. In John chapter 6, there's a story. You've been wondering why I brought my lunch with me. You're like, he's got this bag up there. He's going to talk about it. I know that. In John chapter 6, it's one of the most famous stories of Jesus. Jesus shows up on a mountainside, and on the mountainside, there's 5,000 people that gather there, and you can't have a church gathering without food, hence the donuts. Okay? When people show up, they want food. So Jesus is like, we've got to feed these people. And the disciples are like, we don't have anything. He's like, look around. And they find one little boy, and the little boy has his lunch bag with him. He's like, i got five loaves of bread and two fish. And the disciples are like, that won't work. Jesus is like, bring me that. So I don't have fish in here because they would smell, and I don't have five loaves of bread, so it's not accurate. But we just needed this one piece. Jesus takes something that isn't enough and blesses it anyway. He already knew when he grabbed it that it didn't have what it needed. And sometimes we wait to have what we need to have in order to do what we need to do. And Jesus is just going, give me what you have. I'll do the rest. Give me what you have. I'll do the rest. Until we learn to be thankful for what isn't enough... The miracle doesn't happen. What are you saying, Daryl? That sounds crazy. It is a little crazy because it's how Jesus works. Jesus shows up on the scene and he takes a piece of bread. And you are this piece of bread. Jesus calls himself the bread of life. He compares himself to bread many times. He likes bread. So he takes the bread 
And the miracle isn't in holding the bread. It's not when he puts his hand over the bread. It's when he breaks the bread. I've been doing that body for life thing. It's really working. When he breaks the bread, then it becomes enough. The miracle doesn't even start happening until he breaks it. When you read that scripture very carefully, after he blesses it, he gives thanks, and he breaks it. And as he breaks it, he continues to break it over and over and over and over and over. And it continues to supply until they have enough for seven days' food left over. But until you break something, it never gets to where it needs to go. Especially in the spiritual realm. Some of you are walking around, your life is broken, you don't know what to do. You're like, why do I feel like I'm tied up? Why does it look like Jesus isn't with me? You need to thank God for where you're at right now. You need to just thank him for where you're at right now. You're like, Jesus, I don't have the job I want. You're being broken. It's okay. There's a miracle on its way. You are right where God has you. All you have to do, the promise for you is that he hears you. He has compassion for you, and he's going to do it. Hand him what isn't enough. My challenge to you is just like Job. Hand back to Jesus what doesn't make sense. Jesus, my life has fallen apart. You wiped out my family. You wiped me. You covered me in sores. I give myself back to you. And when Jesus breaks you, and only when Jesus breaks people, do miracles happen. When you put your hands in Jesus' hands, he takes something that isn't enough. That's when you gain wisdom, humility, and understanding. Some of you, the reason you get sick is so that you'll have compassion for somebody else who is. Some of you, the reason you go through a trial and go through it, you're like, the Lord gave me cancer. I've been serving the Lord all the days of my life. It's because there's thousands of cancer people going to hell currently who need somebody to stand up and go, you know what? I've been where you're at, and I praise the Lord through it. And even at the end of my days, I said, blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know if I'm going to live or die, but I'm going to live as an example to you. If you don't think the world watches you when you act, when you respond, you are sorely mistaken. Be, live your life like Job. Give him things that don't make sense. And never ever let anybody tell you that Jesus isn't with you. No matter what you're going through, look, it looks like darker days are ahead. Jesus is with you. Whether I can speak into your ear or not, Jesus is with you. And he's going to be there with you no matter what you go through, even when you can't feel him. Jesus isn't a feeling. He's a rock. And you stand on him. And you take your rock everywhere. Trust him when things don't make sense. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around. Maybe you're like, you know what, Daryl? I haven't even started this whole thing with Jesus. Whether you're here in Worship Center 1 or Worship Center 2, 
If you'd say to me, I want to do that today. I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Several people made this decision last week. It was the best decision you're ever going to make. If you want to accept Jesus in your heart, right now I want to pray for you. Will you lift your hand all across this place? Man, lift your hand all across this place. Anybody here within the sound of my voice, it's okay. Amen. Well, everybody pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask you today to be my Lord, my Savior, and my very best friend. Wash me. Cleanse me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys.